Tonight is June 7th, 2017. The title of tonight's message is The Gift of Weakness. The Gift of Weakness. It's interesting you put those two words together, isn't it? It's a gift when we are weak. Let's, take, let's turn to Acts chapter 7. Y'all all right tonight? Yeah. Man, we're just quiet. We got quiet on the music. We're kind of quiet sitting here. It's all right. We're going we're gonna to learn what the Lord has for us as far as the gift of weakness tonight. We're going to turn to Acts chapter 7. Man, can I just tell you that the Lord has been speaking to my heart about weakness. He's been speaking to my heart about absolute 100% dependency on Him and what that looks like. And I can assure you, and I have to be very, very honest with you and open with my weakness, that that doesn't happen nearly as much as it should in my life. Absolute 100% dependency on the Lord. I realize that even when I'm saying that I'm going to be absolutely dependent on Him, I really mean that I'm going to try to not let too much of it be seen where it's me doing it. But there's a gift that the Lord gives us in our weakness. When Acts, are you there in Acts chapter 7? Yes. Let's start in verse 20. We're going to take a look throughout the law, prophets, writings, Older and Newer Testament tonight. And really, this is, uh, I know this is the Newer Testament law here in the Acts, but we're referencing back to Moses because I wanted you to get a picture of Moses. We're going to start off with him. In Acts chapter 7, verse 20, it says this, At that time Moses was born, and he was no ordinary child. Amen. If you're a parent, you can feel that way about your kid. That is true. And it's an entirely a different thing uh, for the Lord to say that about, through Stephen, about the man of God here, Moses. Moses was born and he was no ordinary child. For three months he was cared for in his father's house. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. We're getting a little commentary on the Bible from the Bible. Amen. Amen. Moses was educated in all the wisdom. Everybody say all the wisdom. Of the Egyptians. Eve, that's, that's a whole lot of wisdom right there, man. whole lot of wisdom that the Egyptians had. And was powerful in speech and in action. Everybody say powerful. Powerful. In speech and action. In speech and action. Wow. What a, what a great thing. Does anybody really disagree with this phrase? He was powerful in speech and action. Yeah, I don't disagree with it either. Let's keep reading. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his fe- fellow Israelites He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian. So he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them. Um, Yeah, but they did not. You ever put your hopes in someone and, uh, yeah, they did not come through for you? Even the one who was powerful in speech and in action. Verse 26, the next day Moses came up. He came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, men... You are brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside. Wow. Who made you ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Wow. When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. Hold your place right here. Uh, Susan, would you put up Exodus chapter 4 and verse 10? We're talking about Moses, that one that was powerful in speech and in action as it is claimed in the Newer Testament. But look at what Acts 4.10 says tonight. Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. 
there are different books and they, the, they introduce to you Bible problems. Right? It says this in one place and it says this in another. <gasps> We've got a problem. Well, apparently the Newer Testament, which is commenting on this, said, man, Moses was a man powerful in speech and in action. And we all go, well, yeah, that makes sense. Moses' own terms of himself, speaking to the Lord, says, Lord, I've never been eloquent. Not, I used to be eloquent, but now I'm not. Now, I, at once I could, but I've lost my gift. He just says, I've never been eloquent. And in case you didn't understand what he meant by never, he says, yeah, neither in the past, nor since you called me, not today, not yesterday, I've never been eloquent. And as I was thinking about this, it just moved me in a, in a pretty special way. You're still in Acts chapter 7. What happened to Moses in between the time of him reaching out and striking the Egyptian, thinking that he was going to be thinking that everyone would see him as the liberator, but they did not see him that way. What happened in between that and him speaking to the Lord and saying, yeah, I've never been eloquent? Uh, Forty years. That's what happened to him. Forty years of living out in the desert, being a shepherd. Look at verse 30. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. As he went over to look more closely, he heard the Lord's voice. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and dared not to look. What happened to Moses between he was powerful in word and deed, he was eloquent, and yeah, Lord, I've never been eloquent. <laughs> it was 40 years for him to understand the difference between God's gifting and his own weakness. That was 40 years it took Moses to do this. And he said, yes, he was gifted. He was trained in every way. That's what Acts 7 tells us. But it took Moses 40 years to go, yeah, you know, that was so long ago. That was such a different person than who I am now. He could just say, yeah, that was never me. Not that used to be me, but that was so different. And I so have a different perspective on my own life, on my own self, on my own weakness. That, that was like somebody else. So I could just say, yeah, I've never been that way. <laughs> I've, I've never been able to do that. Let's turn to Judges chapter 14. Judges chapter 14. And by the way, in no way am I putting down on Moses. Actually, quite the contrary. What a powerful man of God. What an incredible man to be revered from all, through, all throughout biblical times, even to today, an incredible man. But what he did was he was not lying about himself. He was not being uh, falsely humble. You, you know what I'm talking about by falsely humble, right? Yes. Yes. Oh, oh, shucks. I can't do that. Knowing full well that inside of them they're actually saying, of course I can do this. But what I'm going to say because I know it's the right thing to do because I want to sound humble. Oh, brother, that was, it was nothing. I, I just, the Lord just moved upon me and it was fantastic. But really what they're saying is they're reveling in their own strength and they're putting the right vernacular on it. Folks, what I'm talking about tonight is for us to understand the gift of weakness. We're not talking, I'm not trying to teach you how to say something better. I'm not trying to get you to, to be more gracious in your speech. I'm trying to let you see in your heart that it is a gift when we are weak. It is a gift that God actually gives us so that we will cry out to Him and watch His strength 
be made manifest in us. In Judges chapter 14, what a great story. Samson. I was going to pull up some pictures from online about Samson, and they were just ridiculous. <laughs> they had one where I've never seen a human being with that many muscles, and he was wearing like a red, white, and blue uh, Rocky Four kind of trunks. And I was like, I don't even want to have to explain how ridiculous this is. And I realized, you know, that's, that, that made me minus the uh, Rocky shorts there, but we really have a picture of Samson that way. I, at least I did growing up. I've never actually seen a drawing of him unless it was some cartoon character. I've never seen a drawing of Samson as just a little skinny 115-pound dude. I've never seen a picture of him drawn like that. He's always, he's always a man among boys. He's always something else. My friends, I have to tell you, and especially as we think about the gift of weakness, in my heart and in my mind, there's no way that he could have been that way. There's no way that he could have been muscular and well-built. Then what's the secret in that? What's the secret to his strength in that? Wow, you're really gifted. Wow, you're really strong and we can see it. There had to be something that was there that was supernatural. Look at uh, Judges chapter 14, verse 6. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. That's how we have his power. So that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. By the way, I don't know how easy it is to tear apart a young goat with your hands. I don't actually have personal experience in this area. I would love to be able to say, oh man, that's easy. I have no idea. But apparently, the Bible says this in great contrast. I do, and I can't imagine that the lion would have been much more difficult to do that. This young goat, uh, he's not going to be able to overcome your strength as, as a grown man. He's just not going to do it. Yeah, that lion, he's the king of the jungle. At his roar, other animals run and flee. Like this thing. And Samson came up, and by the power of the Spirit of the Lord, he ripped him in half. He ripped him apart with his bare hands. God. By the way, some of the pictures that I looked up, if, if he wasn't between two pillars, he was ripping a lion. That's what they were trying to convey. This is a, is a picture of his strength. All right, let's turn to chapter 16 and verse 6. It says this, So Delilah said to Samson, Tell me the secret of your great strength. It's a secret. Why? Because she looked at him. <laughs> yeah, you, you, what, what's going on here? It can't, no, it's, it's obviously not about you, you big long-haired, you know. What, what is going on here? Tell me the secret. Tell me the method by which you are strong of your great strength and how you can be, how you can be tied up and subdued. I love the brazenness with which Delilah asks. Okay, so if someone were to just capture you and tie you up right now or at some point tonight, how would we do that? Right? And you know the story. He, he, he messes with her. He messes with her. Look at verse 20. He doesn't tell her the truth. He gives all these other false things. And then he just wakes up and breaks the bonds that they've put him in. Verse 20. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. There's so many sermons that we've heard on this about the, the effects of sin that just come upon us and we think we can shake ourselves free from it and we realize that we've been absolutely made a slave to it. 
shake myself free, but he did not know that the Lord had left him. From the perspective of tonight, what I want to want to do is to, to tell you that he was under the impression that the things that God was doing for him were his own strength. He took it and made what God was coming upon him to do and how often that it had come upon him even though he was drifting from it. He took it to be his own strength and therefore he could just shake himself free. Come on now. Let's, let's from, based on Monday night, which was an incredible word through Joshua, isn't it our, our, our tendency, first of all, when we're hearing the word, we want to think about it as someone else's problem, don't we? We want to think of Samson and go, yeah, that's him. That's those people. It serves us much better as believers to go, what about Samson should I take into my life right now? My friends, you and I are Samson. Any feat of strength, people would look at us and go, wow, what is that? Yeah, it really actually is the Spirit of the Lord that can come upon us. And sometimes what we try to do is exactly like Samson, isn't it? We try to shake ourselves. We've, we've kind of got ourselves in a bind. We're in a situation. And you know what? We're just going to shake ourselves free until we realize that the power is not there. Until we realize, wow, I, I didn't even realize that it wasn't the Lord leading me to do this. So I thought I could shake myself free and now I've made a fool of myself. Now I've become a slave to what is before me. Let's turn to 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles. Chapter 20. Second Chronicles chapter 20 and we're going to start in verse 5. We have Moses that went long enough in his life where he understood that any eloquence that he had, he actually attributed it to someone else. We see in Samson a man who tried to stir up his own strength, but he realized that it wasn't his to stir up. That it was the Lord's strength that he was supposed to be relying on, but he began to rely on himself. It was not until later in his life where he was able to be redeemed and said, Lord, come again one more time. Let me finish my purpose and calling in this strength. Now it's no longer him trying to stir himself at the end of his life. He's saying, Lord, would you help me? Lord, would you come in and give me strength this one time? Would you allow me to accomplish your purpose for my life? Would you strengthen me? Because he realized that the strength wasn't his to begin with. In Second Chronicles chapter 20, and let's start in verse 5. Are you there? Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in the front of the new courtyard and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. O our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built it into a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name, and we will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us, and you will save us. Lord, we know that you're all powerful. God, we've, we've promised this, and I, I want to remind you of the wonderful things that have gone on. Um, but yeah, Lord, right now, we've know you've, we know you've done great things in the past, but right now, there are men here. 
from Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession that you gave us as an inheritance. Lord, we got a big old problem right before us. We've got something huge that's trying to displace us from where we're supposed to be. The very place that you set us as our inheritance. Oh God, will you not judge them? For we have no power. Isn't that a great saying? <laughs> He's not saying, Lord, we have some power and our power is not enough. He's not saying, Lord, I'm afraid that we might not quite match up. He says, Lord, we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. As a matter of fact, we don't even know what to do. But our eyes are upon you. Man, I love this passage. I love this passage. Friends, are, are we at the place in our life where we can come up to something and we can go, Lord, I have no power. I have no power to take care of this thing. It's too big. It's too important. It's, it's too grand. Lord, I don't know how. How are you going to help us to do this, Lord? We've got these things that are before us. We want to lay them out rightly before you. Many people in this situation, Lord, they would just make up their own mind and blame it on you. But Lord, we have no power to make this decision in of ourselves. We don't know what to do, Lord, so we're looking to you. How are you going to help us, Lord? What are you going to do for us? Because we're crying out to you. We know that the same strength that you had then is the same strength that we're calling on now. We're just going to go ahead and start off this problem. And instead of getting ourselves in a jam, instead of having to do we're just going to start off by saying, yeah, I don't know what to do, Lord. I, we've been attacked before, but you know what, Lord, right now I have no idea what to do. What do you want us to do, mighty God? And look what the response was. All the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones, <laughs> wives, children, and the little ones, stood there before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jeiel, the son of Mataniah, a Levite and descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. And listen to what he said. He said to them, Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Isn't it just manna from heaven when the Lord speaks to you right when you need it? Yes. Goodness gracious. How many of us just need the Lord to speak to us tonight? I do. And I want the Lord to speak. When you're crying out to the Lord and saying, Yeah, Lord, um, I've been down this path enough and I've tried enough things that I'm just going to say, Yeah, I don't know what to do. I, I don't know what I should say to this person, Lord. And unless you speak to me, unless you give me the right Scripture, unless you give me the right Word, Lord, I literally don't know what to do. I have no strength. Listen to how the Lord responds. He doesn't say, you idiot. You would think the way that some of us act, I would think that the way I act sometimes, I would, I, I'm worried about the Lord responding that way. God help me if I actually admit my weakness to the Lord who knows anyway. Hello? He knows it anyway. Lord, I'm just, you know, I'm just trying really. Lord, I got nothing. I got nothing. Listen to how he responds. Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. How many times in your life do you need to have someone come along? How many times in our lives do we need the Lord to come along and say, yeah, don't be afraid or discouraged? Come on, right? A lot more than we're willing to admit. Every day, 
Yeah. Every hour? Yeah. Yeah, you get it. Yes, just yes. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. <laughs> Sometimes we take possession and ownership of things that just aren't ours. Sometimes we put pressure on ourselves that just isn't actually there. Jehoshaphat is saying, Lord, there's an actual army here. They're coming to attack us and kill us dead. I know that's redundant, right? <laughs> but that's, well, they're going to kill us dead. This is not going to be good, Lord. And see, this is in my life, Lord. So they're coming and they're going to attack us and we need to do something about it. And the Lord says, yeah, this is not your battle. I see what's going on in your life and I want to remind you, this is not your battle. Because you're crying out to the Lord. You've put yourself in a place where you can hear from Him. You've, you're being obedient. Listen to me. It's not your battle. It's the Lord's battle. In other words, the pressure is on Him to tell us how to do it. As if we could put pressure, right? Pressure from our perspective. We feel a pressure to do something. We feel a pressure to do it in a certain time limit, don't we? Have you ever done that with a decision? You're like, I've got to make a decision and it's got to be done by tomorrow. Really? So the Lord told you it has to be done by tomorrow. No, well, no, but this factor and this factor make me, it has to be done right now. Okay, well then cry out to the Lord and He'll tell you right now. Other than that, why don't you stop and listen to the Lord? Because it's His battle, not yours. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz. And you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jerul. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance that the Lord will give you. Doesn't this echo Exodus 14? Don't be afraid. Stand firm and watch the deliverance that the Lord will give you. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. There it is again. Go out to face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. By the way, even when the battle is not theirs, do you know what the Lord requires of them? To go out and face them. There are times when the Lord will say, yeah, I've got this, but what I want you to do is show enough faith to continue to obey me. I'm going to do something here. It's going to be incredibly miraculous. You go out and stand and watch. What happens if they don't go out? They're not obedient. And even if the Lord does something, they're not going to be able to see it. But the obedience is what brings this on. Let me encourage you, friends. There are some times when we are supposed to stand and watch the Lord because it's His battle. But even in those moments, we're supposed to take our positions. We have a right position to be in and we have to go out because you know what He tells the people of God at other times? Go out and fight. And you know what? Whether we're standing and watching or whether we're out there in the battle like Joshua when Moses had his arms raised, you know what? It's still the Lord's battle. It's still the Lord's strength that has to be done. It's still not the strength of them. That's why their armies were always the smallest. When you encounter armies that are larger and more powerful than you. Bible doesn't say Israelites, if you encounter an army. They say when it happens. When you're facing something that has overwhelming odds in your life. When it's too big and it's too strong for you. Hey man, that's my gift of weakness to you. 
because I'm going to show you something. I'm going to do something in you so that you can go out and face them, that you will be able to stand strong in the midst. Either way, it is God's strength and it's His battle. Let's turn to Mark chapter 6. Moses learned that weakness was a gift. Samson learned that weakness was actually a gift. Jehoshaphat learned about this gift of weakness. Mark chapter 6, let's go to verse 45. It says this, Immediately Jesus made His disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of Him to Bethsaida while He dismissed the crowd. Immediately, who made them go? Okay, well, you better get up and do it, right? After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Wow. (laughs) The necessity, the requirement of us to have intimate time with the Lord. Jesus went up on a mountainside alone, all by himself, to pray. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars. He saw them. They were out in the water, in a boat. He saw them straining at the oars. The word there for straining is in the Greek. It's number 928. Basanazo. Basanazo. Greek 928. Here's what that word translates to. They're straining at the oars. It means uh, it's a word that's used when metals are tested. It's a word meaning to be harassed. A word meaning distress or great distress. The word means torture or something that vexes you. When it says that they were straining at the oars, uh, they were being tortured by how much they were having to strain at the oars. How many of you, have anybody ever rowed before? Yeah, not many of us, right? They had been rowing and rowing and rowing and rowing and rowing. And what happened? They were halfway across the lake. Look at this. They were straining at the oars. Why? Because the wind was against them. There were oppositional forces. But who told them to go do this again? Yeah, Jesus did. Immediately after they were done feeding the 5,000, immediately says, yep, y'all go on. I'll dismiss everybody. Go ahead. Go ahead. He dismisses everybody, starts to pray. And while he's praying, he sees them struggling. He can see that the wind is buffeting against them. That they are being tortured by how much they're having to row and not get very far. Does this describe any of our lives at any point? I'm going as fast as I can, but it feels like I'm on a treadmill. i got to work hard just to stay put. Man, I'm trying to go somewhere and I'm working hard. And I ain't getting nowhere. This is what they're doing. They're struggling. They're being tested. They're being tortured by this because the wind was against them. Forces beyond their control were working against them and they couldn't get the progress that they wanted. About the fourth watch of the night, he went to them. 
Um, when did he see them? It said, when evening came, he saw them. About the fourth watch of the night. Um, there are only four watches in the night. If you want to look at a Roman time period, if you want to look at the Jewish time period, you got four at most. You got four watches in the night. So Jesus went to them um, on the first watch. Uh-uh. Well, at least he went on the second watch, right? Third? Oh, the fourth. Almost all the way through the night. Perhaps the sun was even start getting closer to being up than it was to having been set. We're in the darkness of the night on the fourth watch. About the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them. Um, so if you've been rowing from the evening, immediately after he sent you, maybe even early evening, because he sent you and then he was praying and then saw you. Um, how about we go uh, eight hours of rowing? How about we go nine hours of rowing? We're just going to set it conservatively at nine hours. And they were halfway across a lake. That's horrible. Think, think about it like this. Not only that they've been just worn out and tortured by it, just battling, and they're every little inch, every little bit, they're just, they're all working. These guys are working and working and working. You know what happens now? Now they're halfway. Now what do you do? Do we turn around and go back? Well, it's just as far to go back now. The Lord told you to go in this direction. How can we not do what the Lord told us to? And here we are out in the middle of a lake. Guys, i got to tell you that there have been times in my life where I felt just like this. Straining at the oars. Out there trying to do what I thought the Lord told me to do. And not getting nearly the progress that I had hoped. Nine hours is a long time. What about nine days? What about nine weeks? What about nine months of you working on something? What about nine years? How long is it going to take, Lord? We're out here. We're being tortured by this thing. Can, can we get some victory? Can we? I know we're in a rowboat, but can we get a strong wind in the correct direction to help us out here? Can we get something? Maybe a tugboat will come by and we can just hook on and pull us along. Something. About the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them. Walking on the lake. That's kind of cool. This next phrase, I just love. He was about to pass by them. <laughs> he was about to pass by them. What? What are you talking about? By the way, this is the only account that mentions that he was about to pass by them. Perhaps this is Mark's take on this and going, yeah, I don't know what he was doing, but I wasn't sure that he was going to come here. And so to me, it felt like he was about to pass by. Well, that's funny when, it, when we read it about Mark, isn't it? It's not nearly as funny when we're in it. Lord, I really felt like the Lord was about to pass by. What does that mean? It means you're in a service and 
the people next to you are getting a word, and you're like, I need one of those. Can I get one of those? How do, do I order one of those? Does, do I place an order? How do, how do I do this? Lord, man, the worship, and it's great, and it's fantastic, and, and people are getting blessed, and everyone, Lord, don't pass by me. Lord, I need you too. I could really use something special. And, and there's nothing wrong with you, Lord. There's, you are perfect in everything you do. I'm not going to impugn your character. And, and, and here I am. And Lord, I just don't pass me by. He was about to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. Yeah, how many times even when the Lord is nearby... And you have to go back later on and realize that he almost passed you by, that you're assessing it incorrectly. They had never seen a man walking on water before. Man, this, this is a ghost. They cried out. They cried out. Did they cry out to him? They just cried out. <laughs> ah! Because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. My friends, there's nothing like when Jesus speaks to us. There's nothing like when His Word comes in and reigns in our hearts and we can say, yeah, it's one thing for you to tell me not to be afraid. Thank you for that encouragement. I, I need it. It's one thing for me to tell you not to be afraid. I know that you need it because I need it. It's an entirely different thing when the Spirit of the God comes into us and says, don't be afraid. Because I'm here. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. I can't, I, I'm not sure that I can wrap my brain around why Jesus waited as long as he did. Perhaps it was let them struggle enough to understand their weakness just enough that when he spoke to them, they were ready to listen and to respond. When he stepped in the boat and changed the circumstances in a second, how many times do we want the circumstances to change, folks? How many times are our prayers geared at, Lord, if you would just change this, if you would just fix this, Lord, I need to get out of this problem, Lord. I am in trouble. I am in torment, Lord. Would you help me? I need to get out of the situation because clearly the biggest problem here is the situation. What if he's trying to get us to a point and giving us a gift of weakness to say, the situation is the easy part of what's going on. Your problem is you don't know that you're the problem in this situation. That I'm trying to work something out in you. I'm more concerned about you in the situation because if I step in, it all changes in a second. It all changes anyway. It's going to be different anyway. You don't worry about that part. What we need to do is cry out and say, Lord, if you'll but come and be with us. If you will just but walk by so that we can cry out to you and you can speak to us and say, it is I. Don't be afraid. Folks, we need, to be, we need to stop being a people that only pray to get out of the situation that we're in. You know why we pray to get out of it? Because it makes us feel weak and we don't like it. Thank you, Tamika. We don't like to be weak even when we say it, even when we've been around Christianity long enough to go, oh, amen, brother. I'm going to say it again. 
I'm not trying to encourage you to speak differently only. I'm trying to encourage your heart to be different. I'm, I'm trying to encourage you to go, God, I'm weak anyway. Why do we go around and try to hide that? Why do we go around and bury that? We do that all the time. You do that all the time. I do that all the time. What if we miss what Jesus is doing because we're just not ready to say, yeah, this is, this is, I ain't got it. I don't have enough. I'm stuck out in the middle. It's too far to turn around and go back. It's, I, I'm not making any progress. What am I going to do? It's almost like we should echo Jehoshaphat's prayer. Yeah, Lord, we have, we have no strength to, to handle this army. I don't even know what to do. So we're just going to keep our eyes on you. It's that utter dependency on God Almighty that we actually don't like. The truth is, is we're all control freaks in a whole lot of different ways. We want to be in control of things, and the Lord is encouraging us that weakness is a gift. Let's continue in the same story. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. This is the same story told from a different perspective. Let's start in verse 25. Matthew 14. 25. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them. <laughs> fourth watch again. Walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. We get an insertion into the story that wasn't there before. It wasn't in the Mark account, but it is in the Matthew account. Verse 28, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Wow, this is the same story. You know what? In this account, in the other account, we saw that they were straining. They were being tortured at the oars. In this account, we find out that they were being tossed by the waves, buffeted by the waves. You know what the word there is? The same word that was used for the torturing and the rowing. It's the same word used for the being tossed by the water in this case. Lord, I'm not quite sure if it's me and what's going on or if it's just the outside circumstances, but they all seem to be torturing me. Yeah, it doesn't matter which one it is because the answer is still the same. Jesus coming in and saying, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. And we know the story of Peter. <laughs> we know his story. As he walked out on the water and the Lord was able to save him. We had such a great sermon a few weeks ago about Peter being the lead disciple. We see him corrected. We see him fail more than anyone else. And we also see how precious and how powerful he was in the kingdom. Verse 32, And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. They had, uh, they had a revelation, folks. You know what sometimes is on the other side of your tortured rowing? A revelation of who God really is. Amen. You know what you can't do is you can't shortcut the eight hours of rowing to get to the revelation because if we all could, we would do that every time. We want great, deep, incredible revelation. We just don't want to actually have to pay the price for the revelation that comes from the heavens. We want it free, easy, given to us, wrapped in a bow, didn't have to do anything about it. 
this is a church that has been blessed with some pretty wonderful revelation. I'm amazed when I hear... I'm amazed when I hear the teaching at this church. I don't mean me. I mean everything else. That was pure-hearted. That sounded weird. But I'm amazed when I hear Pastor Eric. I'm amazed when I hear you guys share things that the Lord shared with you. I'm like, golly, I've never even thought about it that way. What an incredible thing. What an incredible thing. When I hear Pastor Matt get with somebody and walk through Scripture, I'm like, golly, what a blessing. If you think that that comes without price, you're joking. You're kidding yourself. If you think that it required no weakness and no, no perseverance and straining at the oars to get that revelation, you're crazy. Maybe that's why some of us don't get much revelation. Because we're not willing to just get at the oars because he told us to, even if we're not feeling like we're going anywhere. I want to keep straining at the oars so that when he shows up, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. I want to keep straining at the oars even though I know that I don't have enough to get to the other side. I want to keep straining at the oars just because I'm supposed to. And be like, God, if you don't, I'm just stuck. But what I don't want to do is give up from straining at the oars because it's just uncomfortable. Because I just don't like it. Because there's revelation that will be missed. Turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Guess what this is? Same story. John chapter 6. I will get in the right chapter now. Let's look at verse 20. (laughs) But he said to them, It is I, don't be afraid. Just trying to sync the stories up as we're reading this. Look at verse 21. Then they were willing to take him to the boat. (laughs) So in one, he enters the boat. And another, Peter jumps out, walks on the water. Jesus takes him back, and then they get in the boat. And this one, they were afraid of him because they thought he was a ghost. He's like, hey, guys, it's me. Oh, in that case, come on in. Then they they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Wait. Wait, we've got one story and we've got three pretty important bits of information that aren't shared between the stories. Yes, Jesus told them to go. Get in the boat, go. We see them struggling. Whether it's them struggling and being tortured or whether it's the waves that are torturing him, it doesn't really matter because they're being tortured. Jesus waits a great deal of time somewhere in the last watch of the night. He goes out there. They're afraid. Peter gets out. They get back. They're willing to get him in the boat now. You know what happens? They're at the other side. (laughs) Come on now. (laughs) When they finally got all this in the right perspective, you know what happened? They were where they were supposed to be in an instant. Friends, when you're worried about the timing of things in your life and you don't understand why the timing is there and you feel like you're straining, you know what you need to do? You need to cry out that God will come and get in your boat. You need to cry out for His presence to be with you more. You need to realize your weakness and your struggle and be willing to continue to persevere and get Him in the boat with you. You know why? Because then wherever you need to get to, you can get there. Instantaneously. 
If it took nine hours to get halfway across, holding that standard, it should have taken them another nine hours to finish. They do it in an instant. Guys, don't be afraid of your weakness. Press into that weakness. Keep struggling against the oar. Press into it. Do you know why? Because He can come and be in the boat with you. And you can be where you need to be. His presence can be with you. You can overcome the fear. It will push us where we need to go. I love the fact that they were immediately there. God, what a beautiful thing. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 5. Are you guys with me tonight? You know what I know about this topic? Is one, that we're all much more familiar with it than we care to admit. Two, we all think we know it much better than we live it. Oh, yes, Pastor. Yes. We're supposed to, we're supposed to embrace our weakness. Yes, Lord, so His strength can be... Amen. Yeah, we're good at preaching this message. Most of us are terrible at living it. So, look at me for just a second. That means you don't know this. You don't know it the way you're supposed to. I don't know it the way I'm supposed to. You know why? Because if I did, then I'd be doing it. Then my heart, when I'm, when I'm really there going, God, I really don't have it. I don't have anything. And I fully trust that you are going to do something great. I fully trust that if I keep rowing, I'm going to row with all that I have and know that it's not enough. <laughs> I'm going to give you everything I have and I know that it's going to be so woefully short, it's embarrassing. And what I'm not going to do is pretend like I'm more than what I really am. I'm going to keep rowing and I'm going to trust that you are the ones, you are the one that makes up the difference, Lord. That you're the one that comes in and wins the battle. That you're the one, Lord, that gives eloquence in anything. Lord, that you are the one that gets me where I'm supposed to go. Goodness gracious. Ever been in a time period in your life when you're struggling so hard for something and then the Lord shows up and you're finally there? And then three months later, what happens? You're like, oh yeah, that was, that was easy. You didn't even, you don't, you really, it, it closes the gap. You're like, longing for a bride. I'm looking at Curtis and Mary. Man, what a beautiful couple. God. And then you can celebrate in it. It's like labor pains from what I hear from those lady folks who have had babies that the joy that comes after the pain helps you to forget the depth of that pain. My wife, when we, when, when we had Anna, she had just delivered within, I don't know, 45 minutes or so. She's sitting there holding Anna, and she looks at me and she's like, I could do this again. I said, you're delirious. I think it's some of the drugs talking. What you just went through? Eh. Eh. For this? It's pretty, pretty incredible. Revelation chapter 5. We're trying to get to a point, guys, where we don't just know a sermon, where we don't just hear a sermon, but we can live this sermon. I need to live this sermon. Do you need to live this sermon? I really do. I need to understand the gift of weakness. 
the gift. Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. (laughs) There is no one that was righteous. No, not one. There was no one that was strong enough. There was no one that was good enough on the entire, in the entire world. Verse 4, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is the strong one. He is the one that is victorious. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And it goes forth and shows you a beautiful picture of the heavens. But John is there and he's saying, there's no one that's strong enough. There's no one that is anything other than weak. He's looking at it from the very perspective of heaven and saying, golly, what is going on? Is there no one who is strong enough? Is there no one who is capable? No. No, there's not. Except for the Lamb. There was only one who was enough. I've thought for so long about this. Growing up thinking about it, man. Golly, he must have come and Jesus must have had so much strength to be able to do these things. It must have been from his strength that he did all of these things that we see, made him worthy because he was so strong and we're so weak. What if it's because that Jesus made himself completely dependent on the Father? that he was able to do these things. Let's read a few scriptures together. John chapter 5. I'd like to propose to you that maybe it was Jesus' weakness that actually can teach us a lot, that can teach us a whole lot of things about him right now. John chapter 5. Let's look at verse 19. Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth. The Son of Man can do nothing by Himself. Do you think that Jesus is being falsely humble here? Right? If He's strong, then of course He could have done it by Himself. Jesus says, Yeah, I can do nothing by Myself. I'm completely dependent upon the Father. I am completely dependent What we define as weakness, Jesus is saying, yeah, I'm just completely dependent upon Him. He can only do what He sees His Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. He can only do what He sees His Father doing. Look at verse 30. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear. And my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but Him who sent me. (laughs) Whether it's what He's seeing the Father doing, or whether it's what he's hearing the Father doing, 
and telling him this is exactly what he's based his entire ministry on, is him listening to the Father and responding only to the voice of the Father. That's why he can say things like, yeah, the time has not yet come, or the time is coming and has now come. The time is coming and it's now. Why? Because in that it had just come. You think he was confused? The time is coming. Oh, my bad. I didn't catch the itch actually right now. No, he's just listening. He's just watching what the Father is doing. Turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. What I'm trying to get at is that his absolute dependence is why we can count on him, is why we can look at him, is why he was worthy. Look at verse 5. Hebrews 2, verse 5. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified. What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. And putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. So in other words, everything subject to him. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to him. But we see Jesus. God, what a great phrase. How we don't see everything, but we see Jesus. It reminds me of the man in the boat struggling against the oar rowing, and then what happens? They finally see Jesus and understand who He is. But we see Jesus who is made a little lower than the angels, at least for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor. Why? Because He was awesome and super strong. Because He suffered death so that by the grace of God He might taste death for everyone. God, what a beautiful thought. While we're here in Hebrews, let's turn a a few pages to Hebrews 5. Hebrews 5, 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, He offered up prayers and petition with loud cries and tears to the One who could save Him from death. Yeah, this helps us to remember that He's a high priest who knows exactly what we feel like who is moved with the feelings, the same feelings that we can relate to. He offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. He didn't take a place of strength. He took a place of what many of us would consider weakness. Complete reverent submission. And that's what caused his prayers to be heard. So says Hebrews. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Let's read, start reading in verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made Himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself 
and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. From the teaching on chiastic structure, I now have a hard time reading this passage without just thinking as it's descending down to this lowest point of Him dying on the cross. That's where my thoughts go now. (laughs) He didn't stay here. He didn't stay in a place of strength. What did He do? He kept humbling Himself and humbling Himself and humbling Himself. Didn't just become a man, but He became a servant. Didn't just become a servant, He became obedient. Didn't become just obedient. He became obedient even to death on a cross. What should we then do? If that was His example, what should we then do? Therefore, God exalted Him to the highest place and gave Him the name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. (laughs) It's almost like when He allowed Himself to get in this position of absolute obedience absolute dependence, what some might even say is absolute weakness. That's when he found the perfect strength that God gives. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's start in verse 1. It says this. (laughs) I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained. Paul is boasting about his sufferings in the previous chapter. He's boasting and combating a lot of different ideologies and thoughts and processes that are going on. He continues in chapter 12, I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. (laughs) I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Why am I doing that? Yeah, I've got a question. Uh, I have a friend who has a question that he'd like to ask you. Yeah, you're just not saying it's you. You're the friend, right? You're the one. I know a man in Christ who was 14 years ago caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things. Things that man is not permitted to tell. Wow. Incredible in paradise, things that no man is allowed to tell. Verse 5, I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself. Um, isn't he talking about himself here? Huh. I will not boast about myself except about my weakness. Even if I should choose to boast, I will not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or by what I say. Let's keep reading. To keep me from being conceited because of the surpassingly great revelations. This is how you know it was Him. There was given me a thorn in my flesh. I don't think that Paul was speaking in third person about himself 
to be duplicitous, to be coy, to be tricky. I think he was speaking that way because he was able to be unattached because of these verses that we're reading. He was able to understand that it wasn't his great strength that got him there. Look what it says. To keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But here's what the Lord said back to him. My grace is sufficient for you. Lord, would you change the circumstances? Lord, would you change the circumstances? Lord, would you change what's going on? Lord, would you change my situation? Would you change it? Could you move it? Would you do something different? I'm a little tired. Can you change it? My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Once again, friends, how many times have we said that? We know that the power is the whole goal, the whole maturing of His power, the whole teleo, from the word teleos, is made, it's made teleo in my weakness. The whole goal of this thing is that when I am weak, then He can be strong. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, for Christ's sake, that's a, that's a phrase we use. For Christ's sake. No, he means actually for the sake of Christ. For Christ's sake. I delight in weakness. Yeah, I have trouble delighting in weakness, weakness, my friends. I do. I don't want to. I'm not proud of that. I'm not saying that as an excuse to say it's really okay because I have a problem so it's okay that you have a problem. No, we all have a problem. Paul is saying, he can, for Christ's sake, he delights in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, that's when I'm strong. That's the whole goal. You know what failure does in our life? It makes us hate our weakness. Isn't that true? When you fail, when you mess up, when you embarrass yourself. God, I remember as a kid, I was the one who would do something and then I would get so embarrassed in front of people. Like I couldn't even hardly function. I was like, ah, I, I want to leave now. I, I've embarrassed myself. I've brought shame to myself. I, ah, ah, everyone notices, everyone sees. The truth is, is, whether they did or not was not even the point. I felt like everyone saw it. My weaknesses, my failures wanted me to pull away from weakness. No, no, the problem is, is I was too weak. And if I were only stronger, then, then I would have won. Maybe I was too confident in my own strength. Maybe my weakness wasn't the problem. Maybe it was the fact that I didn't understand that when I was weak, for me to cry out to Him, for Him to be with me, and then I could be strong. Folks, our weaknesses aren't our problem. <laughs> it's not an excuse. We're not going to let them stay there. And you know what? In the context of this, maybe we should delight in our weaknesses. Maybe we should have an understanding that what we can do is we can say, Lord, I'm going to row with all of my might. And your goal and your, your righteousness, your your perfection, your power is so much greater than me. In comparison to your strength, I'm just going to say, yeah, I got nothing. 
can we hold on to the truths of those two tensions? The tension that says we have to row with all of our might. We have to stand where He tells us to stand. We have to rise up when He tells us to rise up. We have to move forward when He tells us to move forward and yet not rely on our own strength. What a difficult task for us to do. Just about when I think I got it, then I mess up. Because I'm so prone to relying on my own strength and even claiming that it's His. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 10 as we get ready to close. How can we do something like Hebrews 10.35 says? So do not throw away your confidence. Well, Pastor, I thought you just said that we were supposed to glory in our weaknesses because in our weakness He is strong. Yes, yes I did. Because it's not your fight anyway. It's not your strength anyway. Even when you think it's your strength, it's His strength in you. This has to be what we, we, what we wrestle with and what we work towards, what we allow His presence. What I'm not saying is for you to bury your head in the sand and go, huh. No, we want to be world-shaking. We want to be devil-stomping kind of people. That's who we are. We don't want to lose our confidence, and yet it can't be about our strength either. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere. What does persevering imply? It means that you're out there and you're doing, and you're not sure that you can completely do it because the task that He's called you to, you can't do by yourself anyway. You need the power of His Holy Spirit to be made manifest in you or you can't do it anyway. You have to be dependent on the Lord or you can't do it anyway. I am completely confident in the power of the Lord. Do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. For in just a very little while, He who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. This is where the faith comes in. Pastor, so which one is it? Do you want us to be strong and be confident or do you want us to be weak and revel in it? Yeah. Yes. We're not going to bury our heads. We're not going to... We're not going to... You know what Jehoshaphat did? I didn't read all the way through that story. It's a beautiful story. You know what they did when they heard from the Lord? God, they fell on their faces and they worshipped. And in there, there's two groups of people that it says that they actually stood up. A lot of people were falling down. Oh, Lord, you're going to save us. Boom! And it says, the, Korath- the Kohathites and the Korathites... Kor- Let's just turn there so since I can't say it. 2 Corinthians. Don't worry, I'll get it. We'll get it. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles 20. Let's just read it together. Verse 18. Jehoshaphat bowed with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshipped before the Lord. Amen. What a glorious picture. Then some Levites from the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up and praised the Lord. 
the God of Israel with a very, very loud voice. They got the picture of this. What we're trying to do tonight, man, I'm saying that our weakness is a gift. I'm saying that it's something that we can now see His glory and His power made perfect in us. If I would have said tonight, hey, how many of you want to operate in the perfect power of God? Yes! Of course we do. Well, how we're going to do that is we're going to be understanding of the weakness and understand that it's a gift that He's given us. We're going to hold both of these and have it and go, God, <laughs> we're going to work with all of our might because we love You. And we realize that we're not enough in and of ourselves. We're going to go ahead and boast in our weakness. Why? So that Your strength can be made perfect in me. Then what do other people see? They see the perfect power of Christ at work in us. Man, this is what I want. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are those of who, believe, who believe and are saved. This is why we can have verses that say, yeah, we're not competent in and of ourselves as ministers, but He has made us competent. This is why we can say that we can struggle with all of His strength, all of His might that so powerfully works within us. This is why we can say these things. This is why we can, like Second Peter, that the prophecies that come, they're not from the men, but they're, these men are carried along by the Holy Spirit. Does that sound like strong people? That sounds like people who are so enraptured in the Lord, who are so in His presence, that they're carried along by His strength. That's what I want for us tonight, is to understand the gift of weakness allows us to be carried by His strength. Did you hear the word earlier tonight? That He'll be carried, He'll carry us. The truth is, is He always carries us. He always carries us. He always helps us. My friends, this is a sermon that we have to learn how to live tonight. Would you stand with me?